Thank you very much. Do keep that open uh, in front of you. Um, let me begin by telling you about a TV documentary I heard about recently. I didn't actually see it. I just heard someone sort of describing it. It was about um, inheritances amongst the super rich. Okay? So children in families where parents were multimillionaires, billionaires. And, of course, as these kids grew up, they came to realize quite how rich their family was. And at some point, it dawned on them that they stood to uh, inherit this amazing wealth. They were interviewed about that. That was the program. What that felt like. How do you think they felt? 60 seconds with your neighbor. What do you reckon? How do you think they felt? Mixture of feelings. What do you think they felt? Go for it. Okay, drawing back, just get off and running. <coughs> quick, quick thoughts. What are some of the things they might have felt? Uh, not measuring up to what mom and dad actually were able to make. Okay, so not measuring up to their success. Okay, so, yeah, uh, sort of inferiority maybe. What else might they have felt? Relief from having to work. Yeah, yeah, relief. <laughs> I'm rich. Got it all in the bag. Yeah? What else, what else would they have felt? Privileged. Privileged? Yeah, what a, what a gift. What an amazing privilege. They did all the work, I just receive it. What a privilege. It's amazing. Yeah? Terrified because it makes life really complicated. Terrified because it makes life really complicated. Can't, you know, perhaps they're known as this really rich person, everyone treats them differently and so on. Any, anything else? Gratitude? For, for receiving that? Matt, were you about to say something? Yes, secure in that, yeah. There's actually one, there's one other thing you've not mentioned that some of them felt, David. Yeah, it could, could be guilt they got it. Yep, Stephen? Entitled to it? Embarrassed? Embarrassed? Because i go with the guilt. Uh, Tom? have to try really hard not to annoy their parents. There was, oh, isn't this a privilege? Isn't this amazing? Isn't this remarkable? Is my life different? There was also, I'm worried. I might lose it. Will I measure up to my parents? What if I hack them off? Today's passage in Ephesians is all about our inheritance if we are those who trust in Christ or what could be your inheritance if you come to trust in Christ and I want to approach it about how we feel about it on this section we're in verse 11 onwards it continues a long run from last week 
Uh, So verse 3 began it, praising God, have a look verse 3, praising God because he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then verse 4 onwards started to list those blessings because he chose us. Because he's adopted us, because he's forgiven us through Jesus, and so on. Lists all of the blessings. And it kind of finishes in verses 9 and 10 with uh, the blessing of God revealing the future to us. That God's plan, uh, when the times reach their fulfillment, verse 10, is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That's where God's taking the world. And and our section today, in a sense, restarts and continues that list of blessings. But the focus changes now, I think, to the future. Having having kind of covered what God promised in the past and what he's given us now and what the future will hold, he then shows us that we have a stake in that future that we will inherit And the first thing I want to say from this is feel reassured. Verse 11, in him we were also chosen. Uh, That's what our reading says, our passage, our translation. I'm afraid you may see, if you have one of the red Bibles, there's a little footnote um, which they occasionally give an alternative way of rendering it. And the footnote says, all were made heirs. Because because the word that's used here is about choosing something. And it could be uh, we were chosen, God chose us. Or it could be that God's kind of chosen something sort of for us. Something to give us. And that's why it's made heirs, potentially. And I think the made heirs bit is the right way to go. Uh, Partly because Paul's already said he's chosen us, God's chosen us, back in verse 4. He's covered that idea. And secondly, the word he uses in verse 11 is linked with the word that comes in verse 14 about guaranteeing our inheritance. He begins with, we're made heirs and we're looking forward to this inheritance. It's kind of future-orientated And in fact, the word he uses here, do you remember, for those of you who've been in grace for a while, um, when we were studying Joshua, we looked at the dividing of the land and the kind of selection of a portion of land for each tribe. And that was referred to as their inheritance. It was like their part of the new kingdom God was bringing where God would live with his people. Exactly that idea here. This is what I've selected for you, chosen for you. This is your inheritance. In him we were also made heirs. He's just said there's a new world coming, verse 10, where everything is brought you to be united under Jesus. And he's saying, and in him we too have got a claim in that world to come. We are heirs of that. That is, if you are in Christ. Verse 11 began with, in him. We saw this last week, we saw the week before. All of these blessings, they all come to us in Christ. That is, through Jesus' work for us. And so if you're then connected to Christ, if you're in him, 
you're made an heir. He says, verse 11, in him you're made an heir, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So you've been made an heir. God, God has predestined you to make, an heir, make you an heir. He's, he's decided that beforehand. That is the God who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Uh, in other words, the God where his will and his plan always happens, where nothing could stop him or oppose him. He works it all out according to his plan. What, why emphasize that about God here? I think to say that this inheritance then will come. Nothing can stop it. It's secure. Be reassured because it's secure. It makes it absolutely certain God's determined it ahead of time. Nothing can stop him doing it if that's what he's decided. He's made you heirs. You will inherit. Be reassured. In that documentary I mentioned, some of the kids actually said, but what if I do the wrong thing? But what if I upset mum or dad? Some of you had the feeling that they were walking on eggshells, not wanting to lose their inheritance. Not here. Determined beforehand, worked out in accordance with his will. God has decided that if you're in Christ, you're an heir and it will happen. Now, if, if we're in Christ, of course, we want to please our father, but not because of threat of loss. Our inheritance is secure. But we're also, secondly, to be reassured because this inheritance is shared. See verse 12. Uh, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. We who were the first to put our hope in Christ. It's a slightly debated phrase. He might be talking about the first generation of believers, the, the first people to trust Christ. I, I think more likely he may be speaking specifically of Jewish believers who were both first kind of chronologically, they were the first ones to hear the, the gospel and trust Christ. But, but they're also the kind of first in line in the sense that the Old Testament where all of the promises about Jesus coming were made. That was their history. They are the natural inheritors of this hope in Christ. But then he emphasizes that this same privilege would be true of the believers in Ephesus, many of whom would have been Gentiles, not Jews. So verse 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And he goes on to say, you are marked and sealed and waiting for this inheritance too. It's yours as well. See, one of the issues going on in the book of Ephesians 
has to do with the relationship between Jews, those descended from Abraham, those whose history is the Old Testament, and Gentiles, everybody else, not Jews. And of course, in, in, in Jewish minds, the Jews were very much above the Gentiles. Well, now they've received uh, the gospel, and the gospel has gone to the Gentiles. So now aren't we all the same? Well, you'd like to think so, but that wasn't quite how it felt. The, the Gentile Christians could easily feel second class. Uh, the, the, the new kids on the block, the interlopers, they don't have the tradition, the history. I maybe think of um, how it would feel uh, for someone as an early um, uh, uh, immigrant into the UK, maybe from the Caribbean, the Windrush generation or something. Officially British, we know, got the passport, might not feel completely British. Certainly, unfortunately, wasn't always treated as completely British. Second class. Similar issue in the first century between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And Paul is going to hit this absolutely head on in chapter 2. But I think he anticipates it here. Uh, we were the first to hope in Christ, but you have been made heirs. But you also, you're included in Christ and you're waiting for inheritance. It's shared between us. It's shared equally. And because it's shared equally, it is the same for each one of us. Be reassured, it is yours just as much as it is ours. Uh, he specifies, as we thought about earlier in our service, how they came to be included. Verse 13, you were included when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You heard the message about Jesus. You believed it. This is, this is how anyone is included in Christ and becomes an heir and receives all of these blessings. You hear the gospel. You hear something about Jesus, who he is, what he did, how he died for you, how he rose to new life, how he is Lord, how he can give you forgiveness. And you believe it. You trust yourself to him. You say, I believe that's who you are. Please forgive me. And anyone who hears and believes is in Christ. And anyone who is in Christ has these blessings. And anyone who's in Christ is an heir waiting for their inheritance. And if you're in and in Christ, you've got it all. Shared equally with everybody else. God has no favorite children who come first in his will. We all share it. Feel reassured because it's a secure inheritance. God is behind it, has purposed it. Feel reassured because it's a shared inheritance with everyone else. Uh, lastly, in this section, be reassured because it's a sealed inheritance. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. When someone believes, God sends his spirit to be 
in them and live in them. And the Spirit does all sorts of things. The Spirit renews us, changes us, uh, helps us relate to God and know God and pray to him and so on. does lots of things. But here, Paul picks up a particular way the Spirit works, and that is related to the inheritance. He's a seal, first of all. Just like we thought earlier, that seal like pressed into, a, into wax to mark ownership. Or you could think maybe more painfully of the, the branding of cattle marking on the side, going, this is who it belongs to. And when someone seals them like that, marks them, because they're, they're mine. It's God's claim of ownership. That's why in verse 14 we are called those who are God's possession. He's marked us out and this kind of looks forward to the day then when he'll kind of claim us. Later in chapter 4 we're told the Spirit seals us for the day of redemption. It's like a marking now going that's mine and I'll claim it fully later. The day of redemption coming. And the second idea here is that of a deposit, verse 14. A deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And it's, the word is very much like a down payment. You know, you buy something big, you know, you buy a house, you buy a, buy a car, buy something significant. You often, often pay a deposit. And the deposit is both part of the actual payment... And it's a sign of your intent, isn't it? It shows you're serious. I've paid this much. I wouldn't lose my deposit. So I'll go through with the rest of the purchase. That's what God's done in giving us his spirit. Down payment. They're mine. I've paid for them. I've given them my spirit. And it guarantees he's serious. I will go through with the rest of the purchase. It guarantees our inheritance, verse 14, until the redemption of those who are God's possession. But we saw back earlier on last week, verse 7, we already have redemption. We are already bought out of sin and slavery. And yet we wait for the day of redemption. Oh, this is a lot of how uh, the gospel works. We have blessings here and now. We enjoy them. And yet there is more to come. He is, he's, he's bought us from sin, but sin still continues. We still sin. We're still life's marred by sin. We wait for the day of full redemption. When will be bought out of sin, as it were, completely from its presence, its effects. And he has guaranteed it. Feel reassured. God has put his mark on you if you trust in Christ. You belong to him. He'll finish the work. He'll give you this inheritance. A uh, second way, more briefly, we should feel from this passage, we should feel reassured, we should feel amazed. 
Two reasons, I think. What we have in the inheritance and how we get it. First of all, feel amazed because of what we have. Verse 11, in him we were also made heirs. Again, it follows from what comes in 9 and 10. He said that God's plan, when the times reach their fulfillment, is to bring unity to all things under heaven and earth in Christ. It's actually a slightly tricky phrase to, to, to capture. It has the idea of Christ being head, so ruling over everything, but also the idea of everything being kind of united or summed up or gathered together under him. So it's like one head and a united body or sort of one king ruling and so a kingdom drawn together. And it's, it's a way of expressing where God is taking this world, the new creation, where Jesus will rule and everything will be under him and so everything will be united in him. And he's saying we have a share in that. We are an heir. We're going to rule with Jesus in that new creation. Now this connects to a long theme in the Bible. We were made to be rulers of the world in the first place. Adam and Eve. Uh, you know, rule and subdue the earth, they were told. We were told that God put everything under their feet. And yet, in sin, that was all turned upside down. And the world is out of control. We don't rule the world like we were supposed to. That's pretty clear. But God will restore the world through Jesus. He's exalted him. He'll bring everything underneath him. We'll see more about this in a couple of weeks. At the end of chapter 1, everything under Jesus' feet. We get joined to Jesus. We're in him. We become heirs. We will rule and reign with him and inherit this new creation. God's plans for us are amazing. I don't think you can overstate what lies in wait for those who are in Christ. We are saved in hope. Paul uses that phrase elsewhere. He uses it even here in verse, uh, verse 12. We who are the first to put our hope in Christ. We have a future hope that is incredible. And we are still waiting for it. We have to be very careful in the Christian life to talk about what we have in Christ now, the blessings now, because they are real and to be enjoyed. But we must always go on to talk about what we hope for, what is to come. This is not it. If this was it, it would be, it would be good and great, and yet... We struggle and we sin and we cry. God's plan is not here. God's plan is future. The plans are only halfway through. Be amazed at what he has promised. Secondly, feel amazed at how we get it. How do all these blessings come to us? It comes to us in Christ, in him we were made heirs. You were included in him when you believed and sealed with the Spirit guaranteeing your inheritance. It's through his work and so it's all through 
God's initiative, God's kindness and grace. You know, the only thing we contribute is the sin we needed to be saved from. And that, that sense of amazement, I think, is captured here in this kind of cry of purpose, which comes twice. Verse 12, in order that we who were the first but I hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Verse 14, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those of God's possession to the praise of his glory. All of this is to the praise of God's glory. That is his splendor, his, his magnificence, his brilliance, his greatness. Well, God has kind of acted in Christ, as it were, show himself off. Show off how amazing he is. It's like, um, you know, if the greatness of an athlete is shown in running, you know, you put them in a race. That's where you'll see it, and then the crowd will respond in praise of their greatness. If the greatness of a, of, a, of a band or an orchestra is in performing, you put them on a stage, and you get them to play, and you see, and then the, the audience responds in praise of their greatness. And, and the greater the greatness, the more the praise. If you're a God who wants to show his grace and glory and salvation, you save people and you send your son and you do it in an amazing way. And you see it and everyone responds going, that's incredible. And the more amazed we are at it, the more we praise him for what he's done. God has performed in Jesus and it is all to the praise of his glory. Feel reassured. Feel amazed. Uh, you may remember when I, um, I gave an introduction a couple of weeks ago to Ephesians, I said that the first three chapters don't have any commands in them doesn't tell us to do anything. It, um, it, it tells us what God has done. But the second three chapters are full of commands. Here's how we now live in the light of what he's done. And so I, I want to be careful in these sort of sermons not, not to turn description of what God has done into a kind of go and do things. Because the whole point is we're just supposed to go Wow! That's why I've used the word feel. <laughs> no, which I don't want you to think is like a, oh, now I must make myself feel something. No, it's more I want to see it. And I don't feel it because I'm commanded to feel it. I see it just because of a consequence. It's just like, of course I feel it. I do think it's interesting, though, to think what feelings this might be in kind of conflict with or combat with in our in our world what we'd want what we might be feeling instead of this and what we'd want this to kind of come and override i thought of two envy maybe even over inheritances and money you hear of someone 
who's got a large inheritance. You watch a documentary about rich kids. Maybe someone who's rich now. I can't be the only person who's thought that um, uh, the stuff over, you know, um, Zahawi's tax payments, you know, had, has he paid his tax payments? Probably hasn't he? You know, that stuff in the news at the moment. But I mean, the tax payments are like four million or something. And I'm sitting there thinking, how much is he earning? <laughs> What's he worth? Goodness. You know, or the football player who's bought in the transfer window. You think, goodness, some people are, some people are really, really well off. Ever feel envious? Even with a person just with a large house. Some people are much better off in this life, but we have the greatest inheritance. When you, um, when you hear that sort of thing, whatever it might be for you that might tempt you to feel envious, remind yourself of your inheritance. Let's remind each other. Envy was one, the other was self-pity. It's not just that others might be better off, and I'm envious of them, I might feel hard done by in some way. And let me be clear, there are and there will be hard things in life that we will rightly cry over. I'm not talking about that. Self-pity is different in its self-orientation and kind of says, I deserve better. I've been wronged. I should have more. God's not been very kind to me. And you look at this, this list of blessings and this inheritance that God promises, and we should say, I've been given so much more than I deserve. Feeling reassured and feeling amazed should, should erase and evaporate any feelings of self-pity or envy. Let's be reassured. Let's be amazed together. Let's have a moment's quiet just to reflect on that. And then I'm going to lead us in prayer. A moment's quiet. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Father, thank you for all you have done in the Lord Jesus. Might we see it and grasp it and appreciate it. Thank you for all that you promise us 
in the Lord Jesus, in whom we are made heirs and we are sealed for the day of redemption. Please might we by faith see and know that inheritance. Please might we be reassured in it. Please might we be so amazed might it all be to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.